Hello and welcome to this bonus Christmas episode of the podcast. Christmas is about many things. Celebrating time with family and friends, showing kindness to those around you, even strangers. If you're a spiritual person, you might enjoy celebrating your religious beliefs with others who also share them. Unfortunately, bad things can happen at any time. Accidents happen, people get sick, and crimes are committed. Here are some horrifying crimes that happened during the holiday season. 18-year-old Alexis had been living with his aunt and her, her boyfriend, Sylvester. Alexis was allowed to live in their apartment as long as he went to school worked part-time, and helped out with the bills. At some point, Alexis quit school and his job, and his aunt and boyfriend had enough and decided to ask him to leave. On Christmas Day 2013, Alexis confronted his aunt's boyfriend, and things quickly turned violent. Alexis killed Sylvester with a hammer. He dismembered the body and then decapitated Sylvester, leaving the head in the aunt's bed. He later described this as a present to his aunt. Alexis called the police and fully admitted to the murder. Once they arrived, police found him covered in blood. Alexis later said he would have killed his aunt too had she been home. In February 2017, he was sentenced to 30 years in prison. Christmas Eve 2013 Gianni was talking to his cousin on the phone, waiting in a parking lot of a Macy's in Mission Valley, California. Gianni had come to pick up his fiancée, Iona, who worked there. Uh, at the last, or at this time, Macy's was staying open extra late to cater to last-minute shoppers. As Gianni was waiting, a man approached him, shot and killed him, and then stole his car. The man, Carlo, drove Gianni's car to his house, even filling it with gas, but soon came back to Macy's for his motorcycle, which had broken down. Carlo encountered Iona and Gianni's brother, Sal, who were searching for Gianni. They saw Gianni's car, but quickly realized that that was not him driving. When they got closer, Carlo killed them. Police later arrested Carlo and expected to hear some sort of explanation for the shootings, but there wasn't one. There was a theory that Gianni's murder was tied to a road rage incident, but it was never confirmed and Carlo would not comment. Authorities ended up declaring 
the killings as a random act of violence. In the early morning of December 24, 2011, William killed his wife Zazo. On Christmas morning, he placed her on the couch in a sitting position with sunglasses on and opened presents with their children. William, who was 29 at the time, and Zazel was 26. They were married and they had a child together. They had a newborn who was several weeks old. Zazel had two daughters from a previous relationship, an eight-year-old and a three-year-old. Zazel was enrolled in college, taking courses to become a domestic violence counselor. Throughout their marriage, there had been multiple domestic violence incidents. And according to family members, William threatened to kill Zazel many times. William had been arrested for domestic violence several times. On Christmas Eve 2011, the couple attended a party. When they returned home, neighbors reported hearing them arguing. The, argu- the argument escalated and became physical, and William hit Zazel in the head repeatedly. During the trial, one daughter testified that William had pushed Zazel, causing her to fall through a glass table. He then asked his daughter to pull pieces of glass out of her mother's body. Afterwards, William brought Zazel to the bathroom. The daughter would testify he dropped Zazel on the bathroom floor and her head hit the toilet. William brought Zazel's body into the bedroom, lying her down as if she were asleep. William slept in the bed with her remains. In the morning... William brought the body into the living room and positioned Zazel so it appeared she was sitting slumped on the couch. He put sunglasses on her and told his children that their mother had ruined Christmas because she got drunk the night before. One child would recall her mother being cold and hard when she touched her. Zazel's mother called and asked to speak to Zazel. William told her that Zazel had not woken up yet. He also told her that Zazel had been slobbering and peed herself. Around 9.30 a.m., William called 911 and told them that his wife needed medical attention. When paramedics arrived, they found Zazel deceased on the couch. William's trial took place in 2021 in an Orange County Superior Courthouse. During the trial, William's lawyers argued that Zazel died from injuries she sustained from falling due to being intoxicated. The jury ultimately found William guilty of second-degree murder on April 7, 2021. A judge sentenced him to 15 years to life in prison.
Samina was about to start a new life with Roger. On Christmas Eve of 2014, Samina, 34 at the time, was feeling a little excited. Her boyfriend offered to pay for a hotel so they could spend the holidays together. Since the start of their relationship, Roger, who was 41, had been leading a double life. He had a long-term partner at home and was having an affair with Samina while at work. That Christmas, everything was going to change. Roger agreed to leave his long-term partner officially to be with Samina. This tragic story begins at a Costco store in the outskirts of Coventry, England. Roger worked as a sales manager. Samina was a regional marketing manager for nearby locations. Relationships between senior members of staff are very much against the rules, but that didn't stop Roger and Samina. They spent two years in a workplace love affair. But Samina began to get restless and wanted more from Roger. Leading up to the holiday season, she gave Roger an ultimatum. Roger never had any intention of leaving his partner. He feared Samina would tell his partner about their affair, which in his mind would jeopardize both his career and his relationship. Rather than face the consequences of his actions, Roger asked his brother David to help him, and together they set a plan to kill Samina. While Roger had motive for the murder, however twisted, it remains a mystery why his brother David would be willing to kill a woman he barely knew. Their first attempt was planned for the early hours of December 12, 2014. Sabina was a regular guest at a premier inn. And that night, after attending a Christmas party, she planned to sleep there instead of driving home. Roger told Samina to meet her at the hotel, where he claimed he had booked a room and a surprise for her. Roger's brother David sat in the rental car in the parking lot, waiting to abduct her. The brothers communicated using Star Wars codes, Death Star Complete, stay on target. You are expected, Vader. The plan failed, although it's not clear why. David sent his brother a text in broken French, which translated to, There's no point, no score. The window of opportunity is closed. Twelve days later, the brothers tried once again. On, or at 4 p.m. on Christmas Eve, Samina left work just after Roger, each driving off in their separate cars. The couple met up nearby, where she parked her car and joined Roger in his car. Roger and Samina drove off together towards the hotel. Roger mentioned he needed to stop by his brother's home. Samina probably thought this was going to be a quick detour on their trip. Samina spoke with her sister and asked how her mother was, and she confirmed that she would be at 
their parents' home on Boxing Day for a family celebration. The couple arrived at David's home around 5 p.m. It was early in the evening, but already dark outside. It's believed Samina was attacked by David almost immediately when entering his home. She was smothered with chloroform purchased online a few weeks earlier. At 6.25 p.m., Roger drove back to his home, leaving David to dispose of Samina's body. In an effort to create the impression Samina was still alive, Roger sent a text to himself from her phone. It read, I am fuming. I am going where I am truly cared for. Meanwhile, David was disposing of Samina's body. He wrapped her body in in plastic wrap and a sleeping bag and then buried her. Whether or not David noticed, there was a sign hanging from a shed on the land he buried Samina's body on. The sign said, don't wind me up. I'm running out of places to hide the bodies. Over the next few days, the brothers continued to cover up her death. Samina's car was moved to another location and they wiped the car to prevent fingertips, fingerprints sorry, and DNA. When Samina didn't show up at her family Boxing Day dinner, they called police and police started a search. On January 4th, 2015, Samina's car was found on a quiet residential st- street an hour away from Coventry. Her handbag and suitcases were missing. There were no fingerprints, which police found suspicious. And the driver's seat was pushed far too back for someone of Simina's height, indicating that someone else was driving the car. A missing person's inquiry became a no-body murder inquiry. Data pings from Simina's phone revealed locations the phone traveled and police were able to piece the things together. The brothers were arrested on suspicion of murder on January 7th, 2014 and they were charged two days later. After receiving a tip, archaeologists arrived at the piece of land outside of the city and began their excavations. On their fourth day, investigators found the outside edge of a sleeping bag. They lifted the flap and knew Samina's body had been found. On October 21st, 2015, Roger and David were unanimously found guilty of murder by a jury. By Christmas, they were both behind bars, each serving a 30-year sentence. On Christmas Eve 2008, Bruce put on a Santa Claus suit, got into his rental car, and drove to Covina, California, where his ex-wife Sylvia and her family were having a Christmas party. Bruce wasn't there to join in the festivities. 
He was there to kill. He had been preparing for this massacre for months. In July, he bought ammunition and started building a fuel spraying device. In September, he ordered a Santa Claus suit. And in December, he and Sylvia finalized their divorce. Six years or six days later, he drove to his ex-wife's parents' house to put his plan into action. When his wife's eight-year-old niece, excited to see Santa, opened the door, Bruce shot her in the face. He entered the home and massacred Sylvia, her parents, her two brothers, their wives, her sister, and her 17-year-old nephew. One of Sylvia's sisters managed to escape. When she called 911, she said, I have a feeling I know who it is, identifying Bruce. She told the operator that they were going through a divorce. Bruce's massacre didn't go entirely to plan. When the fuel from his spraying device unexpectedly ignited, he was burned so severely that his Santa suit fused to his skin. Bruce fled to his brother's empty home where he fatally shot himself. Investigators then discovered that Bruce planned more than one Christmas murder. He left one rental car booby-trapped near his brother's home and another booby-trapped rental car was parked outside of the home of his ex-wife's divorce attorney. Luckily, they were all safe. And lastly, in 2010, 15-year-old Christy traveled from Paris to London with four of his siblings to spend the holidays with his older sister Magdalie, Magdalie and her partner Eric. Instead of celebrating the holidays with Christy and the others, Magdalie and Eric accused the siblings of being witches. Eric claimed that Christy and the others had brought witchcraft into his East London home. He and Magalie focused their attention on Christy and accused him of casting spells. Eric and Magalie subjected the teenager to horrifying torture for days. They knocked out his teeth with a heavy bar and a hammer. They would smash ceramic floor tiles and bottles on his head and they used pliers to twist his ears. On Christmas Day, Eric and Magalie put Christy in the bathtub for a ritual cleansing. The teenager was weak from torture and lack of food and water, and his siblings said that Christy begged to die before he slipped underneath the water and drowned. Christie's sister, Kelly, later testified it was as if Eric and Magalie were the ones obsessed with witchcraft. They decided 
She said, they decided we came there to kill them. Christy asked for forgiveness. He asked again and again. Megali did absolutely nothing. She didn't give a damn. She said, we deserved it. Eric's <clears throat> Eric's attorneys argued that he suffered from mental health issues. A judge found both Eric and Megali guilty. Eric was sentenced to a minimum of 30 years in prison, and Megali was sentenced to a minimum of 25 years. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and I hope you have a safe and happy holiday season.